0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com
0: slash special offer. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon for a
1: weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Life can take you many ways. When I look at the past four years of mine, uh, it's certainly not where I expected to find myself. You know, going to a military school, finishing off uh, my undergraduate degree at a university I used to make fun of is the homeschool college, Liberty, uh, you know, getting into politics, getting out of politics, getting into media, getting out of media, trying to start a business, figuring out maybe that's just not for me. If there's one thing that I can certainly say, it's that I've had the pleasure of getting the luxury and being blessed enough to try a lot of different things. And if you've been a subscriber to the show long enough, you definitely know that uh, I've, I've been kind of all over the place. From selling makeup to strippers outside of D.C. and Baltimore, to being the social media coordinator for some of America's top publications in you know print media. Um, what I've always wanted to do is I've wanted to align my passions for digital marketing and content creation with a potential career. And uh, sometimes it's a little bit more turbulent than I want, but what I've wanted to do is set my life in a way where I never have to wonder what if. And as long as I try as much as I can, even when things don't pan out, at least I can move on being happy because trust me, you start a you start a couple of businesses, you get loans from a friends from friends, you start telling your family, no, this will work, this will be the thing that you know makes me millions, and then you're you're working as a cashier again. Uh, it, it's not the best feeling, but at least as time goes by, uh, things things kind of worked out in hindsight. Today, I want to go ahead and highlight somebody who has made a giant transition in their life to align their goals of their passions. We're talking with Jeff Bradford from the Beer, Wine, and Spirits channel. If you're a whiskey fan like me, if if you've got to finish your week with a nice glass of bourbon, this is the channel that you want to go ahead and just sit back and watch and just disengage from all the rowdiness of the world because that's what it is for me. from leaving the military to selling everything he had to travel around the world and learn about the different ways, the different methods, the stories behind brewers, distillers, wineries. He has certainly done something that many of us have probably only thought of, except he's actually done it. Jeff, I am incredibly happy we're able to make this work. Thank you so much for coming on the program today.
0: Ramzo! Man, I love that intro, buddy. That was absolutely amazing, man. And uh, I I appreciate you uh, allowing me to come on your channel to uh, share my story. Thank you. Well, I,
1: I mean, the, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, really, what, what I think is awesome is, you know, I, I've tried... I've tried very hard to run a show where we're not just talking current events, where we're not just talking all the stuff that gives people a headache, where we try and realign and just remember, there's a lot of great things about the world. And, uh, you know, I was never much of a sports fan, but when, you know, COVID hit, and everything stopped. And I was like, God, there's got to be something else on TV. I can't, I can't just watch the same series on Netflix a dozen times. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, I gotta remember what makes me happy. And the the thing I love about your channel is you're you're basically like YouTube's Anthony Bourdain, mm. but for beer, wine, and spirits. So I'm I'm just curious, how, how long were you actually in, in the service? And when you got out, what what made you actually want to make this giant? life change because that's what it is. I mean, I could barely think of a few things I want to sell. You sold all your stuff and then yeah. you basically went, you know, all Walter Mitty around the world, trying to, trying to meet new people.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Cause uh, you know, out of high school, you know, joined the military. I knew I wanted to play army. I didn't want to go to college. It was no good at being in school doing homework and all that stuff. So I was like, I already knew what I wanted to do right out of high school. Uh, 20 years in the United States Army. Uh, five years of that was obviously in combat operations. I was an engineer by trade, uh, served in uh, the 101st, so I came right into the Army of the 101st Airborne Division, went over to the 173rd uh, Airborne Brigade, and then uh, about halfway through my career, I crossed over to uh, the special operations side of the house, uh, served at United States Army Special Operations Command, as an engineer, and then finished off my career at NATO uh, uh, headquarters um, as a master sergeant. So, if you can imagine, at that 20-year mark, you know that's the point where you know I'm getting ready to hit sergeant major, the top of the food chain, right? Nobody—that's one less person to tell me what to do. And I'm pondering: Do I make this a 30-year career? You know, does that put me, you know, right at the the late 40s, um, or you know, do I say, you know what, I'm going to get out? you know, and I was right at that, that point of trying to figure that out. It was one of the toughest decisions in my life because that's all I knew was the military. Um, So long story short, you know, I ended up obviously choosing to get out. And when I was thinking about getting out, this was like a two years in the making thing. So I retired in 2017. I imagine 2015, I'm planning, you know, saving my money um, and writing the list of, passions or things that I would want to do in my life, you know, that uh, that would bring me happiness. And um, you know, I wanted to, I was trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, <laughs> essentially. I wrote a list of passions down of things that I wanted to do. Here is the one thing I knew is I didn't want to go to work for another company. I didn't want to be a number two, a number seven for somebody. I wanted to build something for myself. What did, that, what did that take? What did I need to do that? Well, one was obviously, you know, money. Um, and so I saved up a whole bunch of money and wrote a list of passions down. And if you can imagine, beer, wine, and spirits was not the first thing on the list. Um, <laughs> the big thing, was, the big thing was, was travel. That was the constant. That was something that kept me alive. That was something that I really wanted to be the foundation of whatever I did. It had to incorporate travel. So the first thing I did was when I got out of the military was actually these audio guided tours. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're um, these apps that you can go on if you're in Paris or if you're in Rome, you download an audio guided app or you can walk around the city. So I was actually creating tours and I started off in Brussels doing that. You know, And every time I'd wake up and go do it, it was like it was cool, but it just didn't hit, you know, it didn't hit home for me. Like, man, I wanted to wake up and do this every single day of my life. So uh, the other thing I went down the list, the next thing. And um, I'm a big fan of, of art, um, tattoos and tattoo work. Um, obviously, I have I have a couple sleeves. And uh, uh, and so I went and said, you know, what, I'm going to travel around and interview tattoo artists and take pictures of them. And hopefully I can get into some of these major magazines. And stuff like And long story short, uh, could not write to save my life, write these articles. I couldn't take good pictures. Uh, and again, it was one of those things that it was like, it was cool, but just didn't hit quite home in terms of, again, me waking up saying, man, I want to do this every, every day. Um, and then beer, wine and spirits hit. and everybody's probably listening and saying, you know what, is this guy an alcoholic? So, you know, what the hell is this guy, you know, beer, wine and spirits. But it, it was interesting when I was looking back on my life, I was looking and saying, OK, I, in Italy, I remember when I was stationed there in 2001, uh, I had my Harley Davidson motorcycle and I would hop on every chance I got on my motorcycle to tour around these different wineries. And the reason was, is when I was sitting there eating a nice Italian meal and you get served, uh, you know, a bottle of wine, I would look at the label and I would say who makes it and how it was made. And then I found myself on this little journey on the weekend. This is pre smartphones, right? So I had my map plotted all out. Oh man, you were doing it old school. It feels like a million years ago. Dude, it, it seems like it. It was only way, I mean, you know, you talk about how technology advances and it seems like it was a million years ago, man. But yeah, you know, it was... Pull the map out, see, okay, yep, got to go here, right down the directions, and then make it to this winery. And the cool thing was, was when I got there, you know, I would see and I would meet this, you know, Italian winemaker, and I would be in my broken Italian, ciao, come you know, and, and try to understand, and I would get a tour from him. And it brought me closer to that bottle and to that label that I didn't know nothing about, you know, that few weeks or months or whatever I, would, I had that wine. And when I was, again, when I was writing my list of passions, that thought came to mind. And so if you can imagine, I was writing, I probably, probably sent out about 50 emails and I got one response back. It was one yes. And it was from a, a, a brewery in Belgium called Delirium, uh, the Big Pink Elephant. So a pretty, pretty popular brewery. And they said yes. And when I went there and I got this tour and got to understand how production of this amazing beer was, I woke up the next day. And that was the point where I was like, I know I want to do this for the rest. I I couldn't wait. You got hooked. Wait to do this. Now, two months later, one yes, 50 no's. and And I'm still just as ecstatic as I was from that day one of trying to, you know, tell these stories and learn the process and show the process. And really, Rebzo, the pitch was simple. It was, hey, teach me how beer, wine, and spirits is made, and I'll come and videotape it on a channel, you know. And, and you can imagine, that's why I got so many no's, because they were like, who is this dude? Like, you, well, you know, two followers, you know, whatever. Um, but I always say the right people said yes. Um, And that's really what uh, got me started in uh, the Beer, Wine, and Spirits channel.
1: I, I totally get where you're coming from, and I mean, for me, when I first started podcasting in 2015 2016 with a few other shows I did with friends, um, you know, it, it was a little discouraging to get a lot of rejections. I mean, when you're trying to do independent content itself, it, it can get really disheartening when people that you actually really want to talk to say no. And then I remember, you know, like three four years in, I'm I'm talking with you know celebrities, I'm talking with heads of states, stuff like that uh, people that are, you know, making policy, making the content and the entertainment we loved. And it's like, holy shit, like this just came out of nowhere, mm. but, but you touch on something, which is incredibly important. And I think this is why a lot, and I find this odd with like millennials and especially like I'm 26 right now, especially mm-hmm. if like people that are in their late teens right now, like they weren't even alive to remember an era before the smartphone generation, right. but it's like, there's this lack of desire to travel. And I don't get it. I mean, these kids don't even want to, or they're not even excited to get their first car, which when I was 16, all, all I wanted to do was get the hell out of the house. And now you've got people that never want to leave their homes. And now a lot of people, depending on where they are, they they can't leave their home. But I think the thing about travel that a lot of people don't get is they feel that when they go somewhere, they have to hit all the general touristy spots. Mm-hmm. And um, you know when when you're just trying to understand a new culture especially when you're going to a foreign country that's some of the, that's some of the stuff you feel obligated to do but what i found is the most enriching part of travel is when you can find the things you're passionate about and use that as a way to venture into parts unknown, so to speak. So like for me, I'm a big film buff. I can go anywhere in the world and I can find the locations where they filmed like the Lord of the Rings in New Zealand or where or where they filmed uh, Game of Thrones or Star Wars outside of Vík, Iceland and stuff like that. And when you find that way of aligning it with your passions, it's not just travel. It's expanding your whole view of the world itself. Because I think the one thing that people don't understand as much now because you know if you want to see Tunisia or if you want to see Korea or something you can just google it it's Mm -hmm. it's that quick convenience where people are like why spend the time why spend the money why feel uncomfortable being in a place where they don't speak my language and where they might not be you know culturally similar to me why do that when I can just get the cliff notes version and when you when you think of travel and when you think of you know, exploring the world around you like that, you're, you're really diminishing your idea of where you stand in the world and what you can get out of it.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting you say that. You know, when, one of the things I, I found when I was, you know, when I, when I was traveling and especially doing this, you know, beer, wine and spirits and correlating that to the military, right? Because, you know, it's hard to be in the military, you know, go to combat, train and do all this, this you know, high speed stuff, right? And then get out and get a desk job, right? very difficult, very difficult to do going from one speed to the next. And one of the things I found, uh, you know, with doing this and that connection to the military uh, that I've known my whole life is each episode, if you could, you know, each episode is a mission. It's like, okay, I want to tell this story. All right. Who are the people I need to, you know, interview? What would, you know, who would tell the best story? I would go down this deep rabbit hole, try to create all this, intelligence if you know you want to use that word you know and 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 i would it would it would just bring me back to that you know place and time of you know being in the military uh you know getting ready to go on mission so on and so forth so there's that connection to that but uh yeah you said it best you know travel you know i always said that you know what's great about beer wine and spirits is you know you could be in a different country speak a different language but that commonality that beer in between you you know it brings you together it doesn't matter your political differences it doesn't matter your race you know it it that beer right there or that wine or that glass of whiskey brings you together and you can talk and have a conversation but that's what i that's what i truly love about that and everybody everybody around the world has a story and that's something i find super interesting when I travel, when I'm walking by myself in, you know, the center of a big major city of a country is looking around and just saying, man, I want to know what that person's story is, you know, that person's story, Um, because everybody has it and some are just amazing and they need to
1: be told. Absolutely. So apart from just trying to get your start, trying to get people to allow you to come to their place of work and, you know, take, take time out of their day to let, let some foreign American film, uh, what, what were some of the other challenges? I mean, were, were you already interested in like videography and filming, or did
0: you just kind of choose video as the medium for how to tell these stories? No, (laughs) that was the funny thing. I started blogging and, you know, one of the things, again, this, I had to really, when I was getting out of the military, I really did a self-reflection of like going all the way back to my childhood. What was I good at? What did I like to do? You know, going through high school and into 20s and trying—you know—that was one of the great things about being in the military. Uh, I moved around a lot too when I was a kid, but I got to try so many different things, right? So I knew what I was good at, I knew what I liked. I was really looking back and saying, okay, and writing those things that of, of what I liked. And so I was, when I was a kid, I was winning actually winning awards uh, for writing, you know, in terms of creativity, not because. I was a spelling champion because I would get a C plus, you know, because of my ands, buts, commas, I, and I still can't write, but my creativity in storytelling was something that, uh, you know, there was a flag raised, it, it, you know, and looking at that, because my mom hinted it on to me, my grandparents hinted on, like, Jeff, you were going in front of the class telling, you know, kids these, these stories, you know, you wouldn't get good grades in it, you know, because you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't write it, but it was just so creative. So I I wanted, I knew I needed to tap into that more when I got out. Something that I just, I I said, you know what, Jeff, look, look into that a little bit more before, you know, you say no, or you don't, you don't do anything with it. And um, so I started blogging and and the the same thing came out, Renzo. It was like, I just can't write. This is never going to be published. So the funny thing is, is creatively, I can see these episodes in my head playing out from start to finish. You know, I would be telling the story of a brewery. I could see the opening shot of a beer being poured and the audio coming in. I could see this. And I said, uh, you know what? Let me let me tap into that. Not to mention, you know, I was coming back to, you know, talk to my buddies and say, hey, can you imagine? I just came from uh, Oktoberfest and, uh, you know, got to meet up with, you know, the Hofbrauhaus and so on and so forth. And they're like, well, did you record it? I would love to see this. So those two things combined is really how I got started in the, you know, uh, you know, filming episodes. But if you would ask me three years ago, if I would have been doing this, I, I was shying away from cameras being in the military, right? I I didn't even want to be in front of the camera. I didn't even know what social media was until 2018. Um, So, but, you know, now, I mean, this is where I'm at because of just tapping into those, you know, tapping into those, Things that I started to see in myself, the creative process, seeing these videos, uh, seeing the footage in my mind, um, is really what helped me go down the path that I'm currently on. Uh, you, uh, you
1: bring up something which is so important, which is e- even though, like you know, going back to when you were in school, you weren't getting the best of grades, you you weren't in constant like fear of getting that because what you wanted to focus on was the story. And I feel like that's something unique amongst those who serve in the military. Because the one thing I can definitely say is that prior to that, I was a bit more risk adverse. There were things that I I would have never imagined I would be doing. And then you're in a situation where it's like, well, you know, you've got to do this big, scary thing or this really big, intimidating thing. And here's the kicker. You don't have a choice. It's, it's, it's do, there is no don't. And um, I, I think that's what surprises many people in, in the civilian side of the world when they see you know people leave the service because they're more willing to do things that are outside of their comfort zone. And whether it's, you know becoming a content creator or even just starting in a completely different industry, um, I I think, I think soldiers themselves are, are more willing to do that. What, what do you think the military really did in terms of, you know, pushing your limits and making you think that, Hey, you know, whether this succeeds or not, I'm going to try.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest one is confidence, right? You know, like nobody told, nobody told me, I I mean, when I came at the hundred first two days into being at the hundred first, they were like, Hey, you know how to climb a rope? Uh, not really. Well, go to the quad, start climbing ropes because you're going to aerosol school in two days. Right. And you're like feared. The fear sets in and then you start to do the school and then you graduate. You start to build up this confidence. All of a sudden, another school comes in. You start to, you know, you start to uh, gain years and experience and move up the the chain and the echelon, start learning more. And you start to go to these professional elements schools. And it's just for me, what I love about the military is the confidence it built into me to do things like that. The other thing um, that I always tell everybody that is not only the confidence, but the values and principles that I've learned in the military really helped carry over into doing this. You know, um, other thing is suffering. And, and this is something I tell people all the time. I, I, I think you hit on it, uh, you know, initially was, look, when I started, this was tough eight months into this. I'm questioning whether to continue because I'm not I'm putting a lot of time, effort, energy and money into this and I'm not seeing the results, you know, and how far are you willing to suffer? Well, guess what? You know, five years in combat, you know, going through these military schools, uh, suffering became a huge part and really being self-aware of what I can truly tolerate and stand and never giving up it is those things that I was able to learn in the military and carry over what I'm doing here in beer, one of the
1: spirits. Yeah. I mean, j- just that, just that last part. Um, there's, there, there's, there's this thing that I see when I do consultations for, for authors. I don't, I don't do many author consultations anymore because I think I have the reputation of being a bit of an asshole, but like, here's the, here's the problem I see with a lot of people. They, they, they come to me to help them, you know, edit their book or learn the different methods of trying to publish it. And they think that their book is going to become a bestseller. It's going to make them a millionaire and it's going to get a movie directed by their favorite director. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the one thing that they expect from certain consultants is to I don't want to say they expect to be lied to, but they certainly don't want to hear that criticism. And I mean, the truth is for every 10 new authors I actually do an initial consultation with, maybe two will get actually get through their first draft. And out of those two, one will actually go on to publish their book. Because a lot of people, they they don't anticipate the fact that maybe your first draft isn't good, which I'm sorry, no one's first draft is ever good. I had to go through seven drafts of my last book. And the first one, I wouldn't show it to my worst enemy. But it's that fear of, oh, what will people say? What will, you know, what what is the worst thing that can happen? And really the word the worst thing that can happen is nobody likes your book. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, there, there's always an audience for somebody. If you believe in your product and you put the best work out there you possibly can, you will sell copies. I, I've never been worried about selling copies. I've always been worried about not being able to connect to readers. And that is often the struggle people have. And I mean, when when it comes to businesses, like when I graduate, from college, uh, here I am. I'm I'm a young second lieutenant. I'm I'm a guardsman, and my biggest thing is I'm gonna start a business. I knew nothing about business. It failed. I tried to set up a, a, a multi-level. I'm sorry, not multi-level marketing. I tried to set up a, a multimedia digital marketing company. Knew nothing about business. Knew nothing about how to negotiate. Knew nothing about how to you know turn clients into repeat customers. It failed. And here I was thinking, like, I'm never going to get into business again. I fucking suck at this. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, then a few months pass and it's like, okay, get, get into photography. I, I was a decent photographer, but, you know, I, I can't compete with big studio photographers. Do that, mm-hmm. have a couple of clients, it fails, that business fails. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing that I gained from each of those experiences was I really ultimately figure out, you know, what I didn't want to do, which was I don't necessarily want to be just helping people film commercials and do radio ads. I really don't want to be a photographer because what I realized was the biggest factor in those businesses failing wasn't the customers. It was me. It's because ultimately I didn't enjoy it. And if I could go back and make a different decision, I, I wouldn't change anything because failure was part of that growth. And yeah, months went by. I'm not happy. I'm pissed off. I'm not the most positive person to be around. But that was that was really a time and investment in myself to eventually get me to where I wanted to go.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, I listening to you, I always go back to about the year one year mark. And, you know, my, like I'm probably getting, you know, hundred views again, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm thinking my videos are the best thing since sliced red. They're different. But even, I mean, even now looking back at those, I'm just like, Oh my God, Jeff. Yeah. You could, you could do a whole lot better, man. <laughs> but there was that point where I was like, you know what I could be doing. And, and really this is my inner voice telling me this, Jeff, you know, you love doing this, you're traveling, you're doing everything you you audited against, you know coming out of the military, you're in the position that you wanted to be in, and now here you are talking yourself out of it, saying, "You know what I have a passive income, you know I've, I have the real estate, I have the you know the, the military retirement. you could go drink boat drinks and do this. you don't need to worry about the criticism and people not thinking this that and the other and it's just so crazy to me when I look back and think that that was a conversation I was having a year into beer wine and spirits channel and and here's the crazy thing Ramzo is i think three months after that, four months after that my how tequila episode went by, like went viral with over a million views and it all changed i i, I became I, I always tell people i it felt like i just came off the island you know they i was found you know i was on this island and all of a sudden I, you know i was suddenly found and that that's still growing to this thing, but that was a change. And I could think to myself, like, what if I would have quit? I would not know the success that I'm having right now. In just, it was just three months after those thoughts that I was, I was having. It's so crazy.
1: Does it, does it feel real yet? Or do you still feel like you've got, you know, somewhere higher to climb in terms of what you can achieve with
0: this? I think that's, I mean, that's the human aspect of it. I mean, I get to a point and then I'm like, I can always be better. I can always be better. Like, like does it ever I'm feel like to...
1: imposter syndrome? Because I know I've certainly dealt with that. I know a lot of people feel that even if they're incredibly successful, it's this, am I actually doing this? Is this really happening to me? Am I really as good as I think I am right now?
0: No, I mean, I'm, I'm focused on my North Star and my legacy, you know, and that's changing the narrative, especially here in the United States of alcohol. I want to create a network where i'm scrolling down and i see the discovery channel on the streaming service and the beer wine and spirits channel can be in between a discovery and the food network you know i i want to change the way we think about understanding drinking and driving so and bring that down you know and and stop doing these telling people don't and try to make better decisions again i want to change the all or nothing conversation and that's you know bring value to you know to alcohol and change the narrative the first thing i say when i when i say alcohol beer wine and spirits i I feel that there's a negative condensation to it or there's a negative feeling you know right off the bat you know it's like uh and i want to be able to change that so i I focus on that i want creating a media company right now uh beer wine and spirits media company um you know and like you said i don't know how to do that i don't know where to start i just you know, all I know is what's right and what feels right and reach out, talk to people that are way smarter than me in this, uh, you know, pick their brain on it and figure it out one day at a time. And that's that's really where I'm at right now. And I look at my stuff, especially in 2020. Obviously, I, I make a living traveling. Um, obviously I couldn't do that.
1: Yeah. I I was going to ask like, what, how, how how big was that in terms of an impact? Because your entire thing is based off being able to travel. When, when did, when did the impact of the pandemic actually begin to hit you and how have, how has it
0: been, you know, adjusting to that since? Yeah. I mean, it was crushing. I mean, the first thought was like, well, there it goes. Like, what else am i going to do? The, I was getting ready to go film a, a series in London. I think it was like two days before, uh, you know, the president stopped all travel. So I'm just thinking to myself, wow, you know, there it is. Well, there goes, there goes this channel. What am I going to do? You know, and then I was like, wait a minute, you know, look at what I have planned. Look at my plans beforehand. You know, luckily for me, I always, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a risk taker. I like doing, uh, you know, the, the the biggest bungee jumping off the bridge or, you know, some you know, wild, uh, you know, stunts and stuff like that while I'm traveling, right? And uh, I, I always stored away, you know, 10 to 12 episodes on a myself in case I broke my leg. I, that was my plan. I never, never planned for a, you know, a pandemic like this, but I always planned on like, hey, Jeff, you could be walking down the road and you trip and you fall or, you know, you break this when you're doing this. And, um, you know, so I had, luckily I had, I think it was 10 episodes Um, And the first thing I did was immediately switch it to, you know, one a month. And then I looked domestically at where I can travel and what stories I could tell. So those were my first, you know, my first moves. Um, But initially it was panic. I'm like, damn it. You know, the hospitality industry, everything's everything's closed. Uh, But then I, you know, I said, okay, wait a minute. Let's stop. Let's think about what I can do, um, what I have control over. And... You know, the biggest thing out of that was I was able to really take a step back and look at my internal processes, because I was going so fast at just traveling, putting out a video, traveling, put out a video, that I was able to actually breathe for once and say, "Wait a minute, how can I make this better? How can I storytell better?" And I analyzed the videos and everything that I was doing, um, reached out uh, to you know to people. Uh, that could mentor me and help mentor me, you know, in the entertainment space, uh, you know, in what I was doing in documentaries and so on and so forth. So that, you know, on the uh, the other aspect, on the flip side of things, was was a blessing. Um, but yeah, the, the proper planning was was one of the biggest things, and having those extra episodes to be able to put out uh,
1: helped me out a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you bring up something which is so important, which is when when you have this giant perfect. Gilded plan um, you, you and I both know That as soon as it's time to actually execute Things change And uh, I, I don't talk about it much I mean 2020 was a was a rough year I was coming back to podcasting With this show People might be a bit surprised Because of some of the prior episodes This, this was just supposed to be a travel show And uh, this started in May of 2020. So at that point, it's like all my travel, I was going to go Canada, I was going to travel around the country, all of that just got freaking halted. So here I am pitching this travel show and it's like, okay, I got to I got to change the marketing. Instead of me saying I'm going to physically travel and vlog and record interviews of interesting people as I go, the, the pitch became I'm going to travel through life, answer life's questions. And at first I'm like, oh, this sounds really freaking good. Then I was like, shit, like who am I to do this? Like like it's uh, it's one of the situations where it was like, you know what? I got to fake it till I make it. Put on the fake smile and act like I know what I'm doing so people don't question me. And I, I think things have worked out. I think because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring in more conversations to expand people's view of the world around them and how they see their place in the universe. It's, it's been a, it's been an amazing thing. And then, you know, the other part, I I did a public access series with my brother across 17 networks. It was, it was Mm -hmm. a ghost hunting show. My, my brother Ryan Martinez is a award-winning independent uh, producer. And, uh, you know, we were going to go all around the East Coast, grab a bunch of places that have been seen on Travel Channel, History, Discovery, uh, TNT, like it was it was going to be real hot and heavy. And then the pandemic hit and then we were like, well, fuck, like, what do we do right now? So it forced us to look into our back our backyard here in Virginia. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, luckily it's a show where we don't have to be around too many people. Usually it's done at night. So we had that as a, as a convenient factor to it. But what that did was that forced us to really double down that forced us to go to places where it's like, you know, nothing might happen. And then we go to the place where we're like this, this nothing's going on and something freaking crazy happens. Yeah. So it was one of those moments where, you know, sometimes it just takes that leap of faith, and, uh, you know, during all of this, the, the very, the possibility of us failing, the possibility of us have, have, having wasted our time, our money and other people's time. And it's like, you know, I can waste my own time and money. If I'm, if I'm, if I feel like I'm wasting somebody else's, that's what really kills me. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you have to do that, that leap of faith. You have to engage, overcome and adapt and let, let things fall where they do.
0: I mean, you did it, you know, you had these ideas and you You know, that's the thing I, you know, the ideas are great, you know, but until you act on them, you don't know what the possibilities. And the biggest thing is, is I don't want to look back and say, what if that's the biggest thing for me, you know, And, and I just don't want to look back and say, what if.
1: Absolutely. So with the, with the time we have left, I, I kind of want to go back a topic. Uh, in terms of the view of alcohol in, in the United States, it's really weird because you go on any channel, you, you look at any movie, and we all love it. But then when it comes to, you know us in our professional and social lives, we, we have what I would call kind of a Puritan mindset in terms of alcohol. Uh, You know, you, people look at the guy who orders, you know, a whiskey neat differently than the guy that just orders a beer. Um, wh- Why do you think we have, you know, I'm not going to call it a schizophrenic view of alcohol in the United States, but it's definitely an inconsistent one.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I politically correct. I, I don't know. It, it's so crazy because you can go over to Europe and you, you fly, you know, you're flying in the morning at 8 a.m., and someone's having a beer and, you know, people just kind of look and yeah, say, Okay, cool. You know, whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. That's a great, it's such a great question. And I just feel like people have to walk on eggshells here, you know,
1: like the thing uh, that right, really you know, shocked whatever. me, like as a kid, I, I lived in Australia, my dad's active army. Uh, we were stationed in Kokoda barracks in Queensland. And what, what shocked the hell out of me was that, um, you know, the the drinking age there was like 17. I Mm -hmm. think it's 18 now, but it's like, you know, for for me, I'm thinking, well, how do they function as a society if 17 or 18 year olds can buy a beer and then you come back to the United States and it's like, well, you know, the the drinking age might be 21, but, you know, you still got people who are drinking underage. And it seems like in the most part, you know, a lot of people just kind of choose to ignore it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing when I look at it is again, you know, you look at all the PSA messages and and again, you know, how do we, how are, how are we treating alcohol? You know, I will tell you what Europe treats it at 16 years old. You sit down with the family, you enjoy it. You talk amongst friends and there's that social aspect to it. How is it here? It's when you're 16, 50, don't touch that, you know, so I would say first and foremost, it's like, how do we view that? And how are we teaching our kids, you know, about alcohol? And same thing. I look at the PSA messages. Don't drink. Don't do this. Don't do that. What happens when you tell a two year old or four year old? Don't don't get into the cookie jar. What do they do? You know what I mean? I, I just feel like we're going about this the wrong way. Uh, and it starts with education. It starts with, you know, how are you educating, you know, uh, you know, how are we as a as a as as the United States educating people about this? Again, is twenty-one years of age the right age where it's like, hey, now you can drink. I, I tell you what, when I joined the army, I was able to shoot a gun, but I had to wait three extra years to drink a beer? I don't know. You know what I mean? I think there's some things that need to change. I think it starts with education.
1: Yeah, and I mean I, I take it a step further. You know, I've never touched drugs in my life. I have no urge to but I'll be one of the first people to say that, you know, growing up in like, you know, public school, the DARE program was freaking stupid because you're telling me that if if I touch a joint one time, the next step after that is like rock cocaine. And then I'm gonna be a homeless guy on the side of the street after serving like, you know, a whole lifetime in prison. There's just a little something inconsistent there. And, you know, not talking like, you know, hard drugs, like I'm not talking the heroin epidemic or anything else, but just in terms of like cannabis, marijuana, that type of stuff, you know, I, at least in my opinion, I, I will never touch it. I have no urge to touch it. But if you want to, and you're not harming anybody else, and you're doing it responsibly in the safety of your own home, I mean, it's, it, it has no
0: real impact on my life. Well, and there you go. That's, that's the first step in understanding it. It's, it's understanding again, going back to decisions, thinking about the second and third order effects, you know what I mean? And and if I'm going to have this beer and I drove, you know, it's okay. What if I have three or four more beers? And then what will happen if I try to drive your decisions are going to be a lot different. If you think about it in that matter, then, you know what I mean? Then not, or, you know, then the community or somebody teach you saying, don't, don't do it. Cause you're more than likely going to probably do it. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I
1: will say, I, I really appreciate about your channel and it has changed my perspective on, on one thing. It's, it's really w- why we, why we drink and why we associate, you know, beer, wine, and spirits with good times. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a bourbon guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I will, you know, I will drink bourbon until the day I die. If anyone has a problem with that, you know, you have the right to disagree. But like, I remember as a, as a, as a younger person that, you know, if you were going to go ahead and grab a bottle of whiskey, it's usually going to be Jack. And the only reason why you're going to grab it is because you're going to get really fucked up with your friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The The one thing that I will say I have Change in terms of how I view, you know, whiskey, bourbon, scotch is it, it. One for me, if I'm gonna pull out like a really nice, you know, expensive or just a really old bottle that's really well aged. One, I, I want it's gonna be tied to a certain occasion. And secondly, you know I'm going to take my time with it. It's not going to become a game of how many shots can I do before my friends pass out or that type of thing. it's It's a communal experience. It's tied to good times. It's supposed to be a whole experience. You know, what are the notes you're getting? How does it feel in the back of your throat? what What are you getting out of this bottle versus something from another distiller? And it's that experience of enjoyment that I I think is often disconnected with how we see alcohol in terms of how are we going to enjoy it? When are we going to drink it? Why am I choosing this over anything else instead of, you know, a a glass of beer or something else? I, I think what your channel has done is it's really made me evaluate. It's like, you know, when I when I sit down, I have this bottle with my father, what are we talking about? What am I gonna remember when I have it next time? I'm gonna remember the good conversations we had, the deep conversations we had, how it wasn't just one glass it may have been a couple of them, but you know it, it helps kind of season the conversation, so to speak. So, I mean, for me, that, that's that been the impact of your method of storytelling because, you know, you're, you're not the only one to do this online, but I'll say you're my favorite because everyone else kind of follows just the basic format. Where am I? Here are a few scenery so- shots. Here's a photo of what the distillery looks like. And here's my quick review of their stuff you actually go into the stories. And what I love are the stories of when you go to a distillery or a winery that's been in the same family for centuries, you know, Mm -hmm. regardless of where they're from, it's those human elements that don't just make it another place to get some alcohol. It's a place that helps bring together people and bring together a community. And it's not just another glass of wine. It's a glass of wine with, with history right there.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, they all, that's what the curiosity was for me was just understanding that every, that each label has a story and has a story to tell. And the, the thing for me is I learned by doing, and that's really, when I searched online, you know, I might like a brand that I've never heard of uh, and I might Google it and see and learn, want to learn more about it. And I couldn't find anything. And that's what I'm really trying to, to showcase to people i want to i want people to go down the aisle and say you know luckily i followed jeff because i knew a lot more about making better choices so that way i can bring back and have those conversations with my friends celebrate with my friends uh you know there's there's more obviously there's morning involved there's a lot that alcohol brings brings us together for it. so and i just want to be able to bring you closer Uh, and understanding of of that product, whichever, whether it's beer, wine, spirits that you enjoy.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Before we wrap up, I I, I told a few listeners before we were recording that I was going to have you on. So I've got some of their questions. Uh, This question comes from Eric. Eric wants to wonder, uh, I'm sorry, Eric wants to ask, uh, what were your preferences in alcohol before you started and how have they changed since you've done the channel and everything?
0: Yeah, so I've always, you know, I was in Italy uh, drinking wine, so it's always been it's always been beer, wine, and spirits. It's always been the occasion for me uh, when I was in Italy growing up as a soldier. You know, it was table wine. I I got the I was fortunate to go to uh, Bamberg, Germany, and be stationed the the land of beer. So I got to understand and and really uh, understand beer. I think if I looked at all three of them, I I would say beer was definitely. I was a home brewer. I knew a lot more about beer than I did wine or, or spirits or anything like that. And uh, I have gained a lot more of appreciation towards the art and science of, of all three. So right now where I'm at in the learning aspect of it, they're all three fascinating for me. Who knows, you know, maybe two or, three down, two, two or three years down the road, I might go into distilling more, uh, You know, maybe, maybe directed towards bourbon, but right now they're all still just as equally fascinating. Uh, the next one's
1: from John. Uh, John wanted me to ask. Uh, da, da, da. Everything wants to glitch up on me as soon as I want to go ahead and open my phone. Um, what are some of the places that they can look forward to you going in future episodes? What are some of the stuff you have on your list right now?
0: Yeah. So, oh, man, that was a laundry list. Uh, so New Zealand, uh, there's a episode uh, that I could discuss. It's the first country that's legalized distilling. So I wanted to understand why they legalized distilling. If every other country hasn't, is it, is it due to safety? Is it due to taxes? So that was an episode I was going to go to um, uh, Scotland to talk about the five whiskey regions over there. And then like Irish whiskey, which is, is booming right now. Um, I was going to head down to Mexico to talk about Moscow and Sotol and Bacanora, which is interesting. Um let's see. I was gonna go forge with James Donaldson over with botanist Jin to talk about uh how important foraging is to uh you know to spirits, um, why that's important. I was gonna go over to Scandinavia and talk about some ancient beers uh that were being brewed and still being brewed over there. Uh, what else? Uh talk about how meat is made that was on the list. And I was getting ready to start a new series. I had one film that's called Drink Destinations where I highlight uh, bartenders and different bars, uh, cities that I was traveling to. I started, I filmed the first one in San Francisco. I had LA uh, on the the calendar, London um, I had on the calendar, uh, and New York. We're the three. So, yeah, and I could go – I could I could be on here talking probably another five minutes of of places I wanted to, uh, to go and have that scheduled. Nice, nice. Well, you're
1: certainly someone that doesn't take a break, that's for sure. No way. <laughs> okay, and the last one is from Brian. Brian asks – oh, and this is freaking gross. Uh, have you ever tried Chinese fermented tiger wine? No,
0: and it's something – Asia is is one of those places I haven't gone, I haven't gone over there and explored, even through my military career. I am looking and looking forward to getting over there to uh, see all the different uh, types of spirits, and I know they have some pretty exotic stuff like that, and snake blood, and so on and so forth, so yes, there will be a a time and a place and an episode probably talking about all that stuff, but, uh, you know, not... I would say probably in another couple of years. Okay. I, I gotta, I gotta ask
1: like when you're talking about sticking like a tiger carcass in a vat and letting it ferment in rice wine, like that for, for me, that that's where I draw the line. Where, where are some of the boundaries with uh, with what you're willing to try and what you're not willing to try?
0: I'm, I, look, I had a, I had a beer in Iceland that they brewed with whale testicles
1: I, I know, I know what you're talking about. I know, yeah. I know one person that tried that, and he took a sip and he
0: stopped. Look, if I, yeah, look, if I'm not the first one trying this, and and you know, everybody's looking at me saying, "Is he gonna die? Is he not gonna die?" Uh, <laughs> I'm probably gonna try it. So you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm probably gonna try it if it's if it's been tested and it's, uh, you know, nobody's died because of it.
1: Man, like. <sighs> What is? What did it taste like? <sighs> like, I gotta know now. I feel like I'm in too deep.
0: Like, I, 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 I yeah. I, I was, I was trying to remember out of all the, like, it, it, didn't stand out to me as anything. You know what I mean? Like, anything crazy. You know, it was. You know, I, I tasted more of the malt backbone of of the beer than I did anything else. So I think it it's say it's a, it's a salesy, marketing pitch. You know, I've had, I've had whiskey in Iceland that's, you know, was smoked with sheep shit, you know, didn't taste anything, anything crazy, a little smoky, you know, it just, you know what I mean? Like, so, uh, so yeah, I've tried some pretty, pretty wild things, but, uh, you know, there's, yeah, I wish I, I wish I had a better answer for you than that.
1: Sometimes less is more, less is more. I heard that. (laughs) Well, Jeff, I, I've had such a blast the last hour, just getting really, you know, the opportunity to pick your brain on all these things. I've been a fan. I'm going to continue being one, but thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to include everything in the show notes, but for folks that want to connect with you, see more of your content, keep up with your misadventures and everything. How could they do so?
0: Yeah. You could find the uh, YouTube uh, beer, wine and spirits channel on Instagram at beer underscore wine underscore spirits. And like I said, in May, uh, First, we're gonna be launching the Beer, Wine & Spirits Media Company, which right now I'm compiling a bunch of uh, written contributors to my website. And I'm adding on three more contributors to my YouTube channel to talk about gin, bourbon, whiskey, and wine from around the world. So again, trying to figure, trying to figure it all out. Um, but my goal is to bring as much value as I possibly can for the alcohol industry for everybody around the world.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing everything you've got going. Jeff Bradford, uh, greatly appreciate your time. Open door anytime you want to come back on. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Ramzo. Thank you.
1: Hey, folks, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, it, it goes a long way. It helps us get in those iTunes top trending charts. It lets other people know about the fun we're having here. And, and please, share it with a friend. Share it with an enemy. Your mistress, your—you know, your, your, the guy that you used to sit next to at work that you haven't seen in like six months since you've been working from home and you're wondering like, oh, I wonder if he's still alive. Just share it. Let people know that you're getting a lot of information and you're having a hell of a good time in the process. And as always, we'll be back later in the week. Thank you once again for listening to On The Run. Another record-breaking month in January. I want to go ahead and thank you for that. At the time of recording, we're not even halfway through. And uh, just because you're sharing the content with your friends, just because you're having conversations about the topics and the guests we're having on, not not even halfway, and you've already busted those numbers, I am greatly appreciative. I'm humbled, as always, that you take a few hours of your week to just chill with me and everyone and have a great time in the process. As always, I'm Remster W. Martinez. Follow me across... Al Gore is amazing. Internet at hey remso h e y r e m s o. Have a good time. Be good. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.
0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com, like The Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom's Trips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends.